Stories. By Soho House. The best thing about running for me is the mid moment of the run when it just feels easy. When your mind is at rest and the body is at one and you almost feel like you're in this meditative kind of flow where you feel like you could run forever. Last night I was running with the crew for the first time in a while actually and um, we were running across Millennium Bridge. I had St Paul's behind me and the Tate Modern was kind of looming up in the darkness. And as we ran across Millennium Bridge, I kind of looked down to the left and I could see kind of Tower Bridge gleaming in the darkness. And I looked to the right and you could see like Blackfriars Bridge. And the light just looked perfect. All you could hear was like kind of the footsteps of people crossing the bridge. And it was just suddenly I was just like, how amazing is this? I'm kind of doing something that I love with people who I really care about in the city that I call home. It doesn't really get better than that. Welcome to Soho House Stories with me, George Lamb. In this series of shows, I'm going to be talking to inspirational people from all walks of life as they share with me what drives them and how they got to where they are now. This time, we're talking to Charlie Dark. My name is Charlie Dark. I'm a Renaissance man, an inspiration to some, a problem to many. <laughs> Charlie's been a successful DJ and producer. He's worked with young people across the country teaching creative writing and poetry. And in the winter of 2007, he set up Run Them Crew. Run Them Crew is a collective of creative people who come together on a weekly basis to explore the streets of London, generally under the cover of darkness. But I guess what we're best known for is inspiring each other and other people, some we know and some we don't know, to be the best that they can be. This year I signed up to do the London Marathon and as part of my preparation I decided to go and run with Run Them Crew and I realised that it was probably the first time I'd run in a group since I was at school. I was hell-bent on this whole kind of doing a sub-four-hour thing because I got my ego involved in the whole process and when I talked to Charlie about it, he was the first person who actually said to me, don't worry about all that too much, just go out and have a really good time just soak up the atmosphere and once you fall in love with the event come back next year train hard with us and we'll get you a good time and all of a sudden you know the training for this incredibly hard endeavour became infinitely easier and more enjoyable the vibe when I got there was really amazing and super welcoming and super inclusive in my head, I had this whole image of Rundem being a we're too cool for you kind of elite running club. But actually, when I got down there, it was all shapes and sizes and abilities. And it was a real mishmash of people. And I found that fascinating. Meeting Charlie and the guys from Rundem completely changed my attitude on running. There was some redemption through running all of a sudden that I hadn't tapped into before. I started Rundem because I realised that there was a point in my life when I needed to run them in my life and I don't have that and there are people around me who really need it and they don't have it and no one's going to make it for them. So let me do my little bit to see what I can do. 
So, uh, Charlie, I'd like to start quite simply. Why is it that we run? I always say we run towards the ones we love. We run away from danger. And we run for survival. If you're lucky, you get to run for pleasure as well. The primal urge just to kind of move from point A to B as quickly and efficiently as possible is an amazing feeling. You know, it's interesting that when you think about it, when you're a kid, you just, you run, don't you? Endlessly. All the time, you know, and then suddenly you go to school and you're told when to run and when to move and then suddenly you don't want to do it anymore. I find it really weird and there's not many young people I know who kind of escape that transitioning period and actually kind of come out the other end being like, I still love running and I still love moving. I think it's because when you think about it too much, it suddenly becomes a lot harder than it needs to be. If the run begins with, this is a chore, I've got to do X amount of miles, I'm just going to drag my body through, that's not doing anything for you, ultimately, in the long run. When the weather's really bad and you see people out and they're kind of dragging themselves around and they really don't look happy, you know, they're not embracing the elements. Because the run is not part of the lifestyle, it's a thing that they are stopping life to do. Let me go and grind these miles out. I don't want to grind any miles, you know. I want to be like, right, we're going to do 20 miles today. Boom, let's go and do it. And it's pouring down with rain. Awesome. Let's turn everything, this adversity, into a positive. Because come race day, it might be raining. Oh, don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I kind of want to go. I say that to people all the time. It says on the, the Run Them Crew website, I do not run, I push the earth down with my feet and I leave my footprints in the concrete <laughs> behind me. Yep, I've got a tattoo on my arm. Really? Yeah, it's, there. it's fully, fully there for life. It kind of um, came off out of this idea of not wanting to be a passive runner. Like, I'm not a jogger. I'm not jogging, you know. And the idea is kind of, when all of these people come together as a crew to run, they're creating kind of energy and force and power and vibes. And so they're not just running, you know, each footstep that they put down on the ground in some weird ways helping to spin the globe around. It's contributing to change. It's contributing to something happening. And so we're not just jogging. We're not passive. But also, you know, for me, I think it was kind of... One of my things about growing up in London has always been about trying to find my voice. And I think that basically running was one of those things that allowed myself and lots of other people to find our voices and also to feel that we were contributing to change in London. Because even the thing is, you know, if you see a hundred people who you wouldn't expect to see running come blazing past you at 10 o'clock at night down a side street that no one generally runs down, it's got to have some kind of impact on you in your community. You're going to be like, right, like, I just saw like a load of people run, like, they weren't running from the police <laughs> and they weren't running after someone. They were just running together as a group of people and they were all smiling and playing music and there were vibes and it was kind of like, that would look like a really awesome thing that I'd like to be part of. You know, maybe I should move a bit more. I just generally feel like, you know, the more things you can do to, to help people feel better about themselves, you know, you more you should do that. Prior to setting up Run Them Crew, Charlie had a career in music spanning around 10 years. I really kind of entered the music industry in the early 90s. I met James Avell in a record store in Notting Hill. He had told me that he was basically setting up this label called Mo Wax and his words were, you look like you're into hip-hop, can you make some records? And I thought to myself, well, this is an opportunity that I can't really turn down. From that point onward, his work as a DJ and with his group Attica Blues would take him all over the world. 
And I had a really enjoyable time for most of it. The latter years were definitely a lot harder than the first. By 2004, the thing that he'd spent the last 10 years doing had become a huge source of negativity in his life. Mentally, the realities of life had just kind of caught up with me. And I just thought to myself, you know, I'm not very happy with the music I'm making, you know, the industry that I'm in. I just felt lost. I also had just was just kind of suffering from depression as well. I was just like really depressed and down and I just kind of like I needed an interjection of something. What was the point when you started running properly? So I kind of got to around 34. I was just unhappy with my body and its inability to do what I thought it should be able to do. And I didn't like the way I looked. I had a real classic kind of, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm not really feeling what I'm seeing. I've been writing... Which, let's be honest, is the driver for most people, isn't it? It's the driver for most people. Like that moment when you can't really see your feet because your belly's a bit too big. And I'd, I'd kind of been commissioned to write this one-man show about my kind of music industry time. And I'm playing all these different characters. And I just remember being in rehearsals, like really out of breath and kind of being a bit embarrassed by the fact that because everyone in the room's like... It's Charlie Dark, and he's kind of like done all this music stuff, and he's out of breath. And then, really, my, I had a, I got a friend, and he was just like, you know, his exact words to me were, "You're looking a bit portly," and the, it just struck me Cut through like a like ah, oh. it's like when you go to your mum's house and your mum packs your belly, and like oh yeah, put it on the pounds, and you're like, oh god, all right. And so, this a combination of kind of this feeling of I'm looking in the mirror, I'm not really liking what I'm seeing, I'm mentally not feeling very happily as well. I'm now kind of noticing the signs that I can't do what I really like to do and I can't afford to go to the gym. So I'm going to start running because there are 400 pairs of trainers in my house anyway, so one of those pairs must be able to survive the road. We go out and, you know, it's a disaster. Really? An absolute disaster. It wasn't even kind of like I ran a mile. It literally was. I ran halfway around the block and had to stop. You know, and I'm standing there. And the thing about where I live is, that, like, I like living in the areas with the people that I work with. So there were loads of kids in that area who kind of know me because I was their teacher. I taught them, you know, I was a kid coming into school and teaching them poetry and creative writing. So I suddenly thought, one of these kids is going to see me doubled up on the side of this road and then the next time I see them in the classroom, it's going to be a real problem because I've led them to believe that I know what I'm doing and I'm in control of everything and everything's cool and now they're going to see that I'm vulnerable. This can't run. This is like, we need to do something right now. That's why the running at night started. So it was winter time. I actually remember it being superly cold and going out in Stratford and running around what was soon to be the Olympic Stadium. But at that point, it was just building sites. I remember making a playlist, a playlist like I was going to like, I'm going to make this playlist. This playlist is going to flow with the streets that I'm hoping to encounter. And... I just remember kind of going out and thinking, right, I'm going to do a loop. I'm going to do a loop around my house, you know, so at least I'm kind of, I'm, I'm going to be safe if, one, I get lost, I run out of energy. So I remember running through Stratford and 
there was a club, nightclub, and running past there and seeing the bouncers. And I remember them laughing at me as I ran past because they're just like, it's two o'clock in the morning, what's this guy running? Ah, ah, that's really funny. And then a couple of days later, coming back and running the same route and seeing them again. And they were like, and we had almost like a Rocky moment where it was like, he's actually doing it. He's doing it. And then clapping. And then the, the day where I ran twice past them, because I ran the loop twice, they were like clapping like, yeah, man, that's really cool. Well done. Like, you're getting better. And, and that was kind of like, ah, this is really cool. I kind of tried to keep my running secret for as long as possible because I was like, I don't really want... It's like when you find a wicked club, you don't want anyone else to come because then they bring their friends and their friends and suddenly it's, it's like... It's not a wicked club anymore. It's not a wicked club anymore. So um, probably about a year kind of just running with myself and my, you know, my friends, just kind of running around Friday nights, run a mile or so. Was it called Run Them at this point? Yeah, it was always from day one, it was called Run Them. And that was kind of, I collect reggae records and I think I was listening to a a record by a crew called Scare Them one day and I just thought it would be hilariously funny to um, turn up to London Marathon and everyone else has kind of got like, you know, Highgate Harriers, Mornington Chasers, you know, Serpentine Running Club and then there's Run Them Crew. So um, we kind of incubated it for the first year, kind of really kept it kind of undercover. And then we started working with Nike. They gave us a space to operate from and it just kind of grew from there, really. But the incubation phase was one of the most important things about what we did. One of the things that really struck me when I ran with Run Dem was the breadth of people who were there. I was on the kind of slow crew, basically, and there was every shape, size, creed, age, class, the whole lot, and all really mixing with one another, not everybody just in their own silos, because so often, you know, you might put a group of people from all different backgrounds together, but they don't really connect. Yeah, no, not at all. Did you get lucky? Did you foster that? That was very deliberate. That's all based on soul to soul. So in the 80s, I was going to a lot of kind of warehouse parties. Soul to soul, shake and finger pop. And the thing that got me about warehouse parties and that whole warehouse party culture was suddenly you're kind of like, you're dancing in a room next to people who you would, daytime, would have no connection with. But because you're all in the same room together, when the after party comes, you all end up at each other's houses. And suddenly, like, you know, you're now in Labbert Grove waking up in some kind of, like, super mansion next to some, you know, socialite who's next to some kind of, like, rude boy who's next to some kind of, like, hairdresser dude. And suddenly I kind of, like, my world got broadened by the warehouse party scene. When I started running them, I just thought to myself, well, it's really important that this crew is an accurate reflection of the type of people that live in this city. Which is the reason why when, loads of people, when people talk about community and it's just like one type of person, I'm like, that's not community. Because even in the hood, there's different types of people in that place. And so, yeah, I deliberately was like, right, almost casting. We're going to get some model chicks in. We're going to get some rude boys in. We're going to get some, some bankers in. Because actually, I mean, I've been in the music industry for 30 years, don't really understand about money. So I need to get some people in who actually know about money. We're going to get some serious runners in, you know, We're going to get some creatives in. We're going to get some people who are just like, you know, every friendship group has the guy who's like, let's jump. Yeah, cool. I'm down. First one to go. You know, you just need a group of people who all rub off each other to make the best crew that you can. And I deliberately every week, I'm just like, introduce yourself to someone that you do not know. Make an effort to make friends with people. This isn't a double tap culture where it's like, I looked at your picture and I double tapped on your friend. This is actually like, 
friendship takes work. And culturally, we're all very different. It's like, you know, if you think about carnival, why is it that when you go to carnival, it's like the BBC always want the police, the dancing policeman. Because on that occasion, he's allowed to dance because there's someone else who's basically doing some crazy dance. So, you know, you're allowed to be free and to let yourself go. But it's because of the combination of the different types of people that coming together in that space. And my thing is like, every run them should be like carnival. Every day should be like carnival. Why do I have to wait till once one day a year to kind of let myself get loose? How many affiliate groups are there that have spawned out of Rundem, do you think? And how far have they gone? When we first started, kind of 11 years ago, we were the only crew in London at that time. Out of Rundem now has come Trap Mafia, which are based over in West London, London Brunch Club, Swim Them, Coats and Go Post, which is our kind of football project, Stretch Them, which is kind of like the yoga, Strong Them, which is like the strong project... And then I basically kind of stopped kind of creating all these subdivisions and just thought to myself, actually, we're just going to have run them. And if you're interested in doing something, we'll give you the tools and show you how we did it so you can go and do it. So there's not going to be kind of like trampoline them and la la la. Because my thing was always, I didn't want it to ever become like a David Lloyd gym. Or like, you know, when you find your favorite restaurant and you go and then they franchise it and the second one's never as good. And by the time you get to the third one, you're just like, this is nothing like the first one. The magic's gone. You know, and obviously we've inspired crews all around the world. Around the UK, you know, there's crews popping up. Some of the guys, when I was talking to them, they were like, I've got friends in Copenhagen. Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah, friends yeah, yeah. in New York. Yeah, we started this um, event called Bridge the Gap in 2012. You know, we suddenly realised that there were other people doing similar things, but we'd never met and we never connected. So we all went to Berlin and ran a half marathon and then partied and kind of, you know, had a really amazing experience. And it spawned this bigger international movement. And I look at it like drum and bass or even like hip hop. You know, there was a time when hip hop was only in the Bronx. And I remember going to Ghana in like the late 80s and I'm meeting kids who rapped and just thinking that was like the strangest thing. And we're like, what do you mean you rap? And they're like, yeah, man, we, like, we rap, we get the cassettes from New York. Like, really? I suddenly realised the power of open source and spreading things with people. And I love it when, when people come to run them for a bit and then they're like, actually, I'm not really feeling how it is. For me, I need something a bit different. And then they go and set their own thing up. Because the more spaces that there are for people to move, the better. That's definitely something that's come with age, where I've kind of just relaxed a bit more. Yeah. When you first start something, you're a bit like... What? You're, going to, you're yeah. stealing my idea? Yeah, yeah. you yeah. just like, you'd be on Twitter kind of getting into... And now I'm just like... it's. Charlie, chill. It's cool, man. You've done a great thing. It's cool. You've inspired some people to go and help some yeah, other people. Yeah. And like, it, ta- it also alleviates some of the pressure on you because there's other places they can go now. Whereas before, it was like we had run them. Every time we did a registration, there'd be like 250 people. It was like a sneaker launch, you know, and then there'd be like a massive waiting list. It was like, it was all too much. Also, at the core of Run Them Crew's work is their commitment to helping young people. And this is something Charlie's been doing since he left the music industry in 2004. It started with DJ workshops. I was doing DJ workshops in Brixton and not really enjoying them very much. One, because it's kind of like when you're a master of a profession, you have an idea of how it should be taught. And then you work with young people and they're like, actually, I don't care about any of that. I just want to get into it and do it. Show me point C right now. I don't need to know about A and B. So I started doing DJ workshops and wasn't really necessarily feeling it. And then when I kind of, you know, was coming, exiting the record industry, started writing again just as a way of, you know, well, I'm not really making music, so I need to release my 
thoughts and energy and frustration somehow. So I started writing again and then got asked to perform at some kind of open mic things, which I went to do. And then I had a teacher who was like, her words to me were, you're wearing a baseball cap and Air Maxes. I've got some kids in my school who could really do with your help because I'm trying to teach them poetry and get them excited about English and, and I can't connect with them. But you wear the stuff that they're into. Will you please come in for an hour? You know, I'm like, okay. You know, I just, I didn't know what to expect. And so I went into the, you know, my first lesson. I actually was thinking it was Kidbrook School. Walk in there and within five minutes, chaos has broken out. A girl gets up from her seat and starts walking from desk to desk. And I'm like, do you sit down, please? And she's like, actually, I'm allergic to the floor, sir. And I'm just like, ah, oh, okay. What am I going to do? Because in my mind, it's like teacher training and you're going to have like, the lesson plan's going to be like this and then it's like this and it oh, take you out the window. And then I suddenly realised, why are you trying to teach these people like a teacher? You need to teach them how you would like to be taught. And that's when the flip came. And the whole Charlie Dot persona came and then suddenly it was like, right, okay, you know what? We're not even talking about the poetry thing that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Dizzy Rascal lyrics today. Because that's just, you know, hold on, like, you're 30, you're the age of my dad. How do you know about Dizzy Rascal? Man knows about him, don't worry about that. And then we kind of get into that and then suddenly it's kind of like, then you can bring the poetry and be like, well, actually, what he's doing in this is similar to this. And then suddenly the conversation opens up and continues and so on and so forth. But yeah, it was purely by accident. And I worked on the London Teenage Poetry Slam for many years as well. I actually coached one of the winning teams to a win for that, Lister School in East London. And um, working in schools and young people has just been one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done. And I'd advise everybody to take some time out of their schedules and devote it and give it back to your local school. Do you feel there's much crossover from the work you were doing in the schools to run them? The structure of the sessions was definitely kind of based on kind of the stuff I was, the work I was doing in schools. So knowing that there's a structure and there's an exit strategy and there's kind of bits where they have to check back in and tasks that they have to do. And we kind of made it just like a fun mobile school. We had, you know, one of my things was really important. I've worked on so many youth projects where the kids can just come and go as they please. I get this all the time with councils where they're like, okay, we really want you to come and do Run Them here and this is the budget and we haven't got big budget and, you know, and then they do the project and then five kids turn up. They're like, I can't understand why the kids aren't coming. And I'm like, because there's no investment. There's no repercussions for whether they come or not. So when we do our Run Them Crew Youngest projects, we either directly recruit you where we come to you and say, we have recognised there's something special in you. We want to make that bigger. Come and work with us. So it's almost like an apprenticeship. Or they apply. And the applying phase is vigorous because we want to make sure that when you come, you know the potential of what you can achieve by being involved in this because we expect you to be here. We expect There's a level of expectation. And I think it's kind of, it's about creating these experiences for young people so that they can go back into their own communities and tell other young people about the experiences they've had. And I think that's how you bring change in anything you have to you have to create ambassadors of change who are like-minded so if i was sitting at home listening to this and i and i'm now looking at maybe taking a kind of broader responsibility what would you what would you say to me 
I would say to you, there are a couple of things that you can do. One of the most immediate things is to connect with the people and the young people in your area, whether that's where you work or where you live. I think it's really interesting, like, you know, in New York, you might have kind of, you know, you've got these big people, they work in these massive corporate buildings and stuff, but there's generally like some kind of homeless person or the guy who opens the door when people come in or, you know, the guy who owns the hot dog stand or the coffee guy who they have a relationship with. A lot of times in the UK, we don't really have that. We're just kind of in the bubble, just kind of moving around. So I think immediately kind of trying to make friends with your neighbours, particularly if you're someone who lives in an area which has been gentrified or is going through gentrification, as hard as that may be. You know, I often meet people like, you know, they're like, well, I've moved into Hackney and it's a bit scary, you know, because there are kids that hang outside my block. And I'm, yeah, because they've got nowhere else to go and that's where they've always been. But you've got an oven, you've got the Smeg oven, you can make some brownies or you can make some cakes or you could, you could do something which is at least is, is like a gesture. And the first time you interact with them, they may be like, are you feds? Are you police? Actually, we don't want to interact with you. But that doesn't mean you give up. I think a lot of times people have just got this idea that everything, every interaction needs to be automatically positive from day one. And it's so not like that. You know, when I first went into schools, kids were like, why are you wearing trainers? You're 30. You're older than my dad. Why you got trainers on? Did I stop? No. I came back the next day with two pairs in my bag and changed at lunchtime and made sure they were super rare just to basically hold their attention. So you've, got, you've got to make friends with the people in your community, you know, and you've got to be visible as well. You've got to smile. Like a lot of times what happens is people just kind of, they don't actually smile at anyone. So the immediate thing they give off is the vibes of don't talk to me. I don't want anything to do with you. Like, you know, and so... That's not the way, man. You know, like in the 80s, some of my friends lived in Brixton on the, on the barrier block, which is by, where, right by Brixton Arcade, which is now lovely. But then, no-go area. First thing she does when she goes in, art student, is like, here's a little drawing I made at art college for you. That's my house there. I'm moving in. And basically, if anything goes down, feel free to tell me and vice versa. Lived in that state 30 years, no problem. It's an old-school method. You kind of have to introduce yourself to the people. And also not be surprised that people are kind of like suspicious of you. I went there with good intentions and I was rejected. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're just like, of course they're going to reject you because your ways are different. You look different. You speak different. You act differently. So by run them, I'm just like, look, you know, people have this fear of white middle-class men. They have a fear of people who speak well. People have a fear of people who are educated. People fear women. People fear people who are like, you know, whose religion is different from ours, whose sexuality is different from ours. And I'm, my thing is like, you know what? You don't have to put the mask up around people because they're different. What you need to do is spend some time with them in an informal situation and see what you can learn from them and also what they can learn from you. All right, just finally, the future. What's the next steps for Rundem? And the next steps for you as well, because I know you are not completely joined at the hit. <laughs> the next steps for myself and for Run Them, doing more Younger's projects on a bigger scale. We want to go kind of like UK-wide again and global. And we want to kind of set up programmes to help people who do have money and time and enthusiasm and teach them how to work with young people, the type of stuff they can do. Because lots of times we meet people and they're like, I'd love to work with young people, I'd love to give back, but I don't know how. I'm not cool like you. I'm like, you know, actually, a young black kid from Hackney spending an hour with me is good, but what's better 
is for him spending an hour with the white dude who's 60, who lives in Hampstead and is not from the hood and knows nothing about the hood at all, but is into something else that they can learn about. You know what I mean? And that's one of my things as well, is kind of trying to find mentors who don't all look the same. Like, we've got enough ex-gang members turned good who are mentors. Now what we need is, you know, some corporate, you know, shark dudes. It's important. So going global with running, running crew youngers and trying to help people, definitely want to get into some kind of exchanges. Because I'm like, we need to take some kids from London to some places wherever in the world and vice versa. Trying to get out of the city into the countryside as well because it's kind of we've got this kind of thing of like it's random crew and it's super urban and they're just running around in London at night and I'm actually like you know we need to go to the countryside more than once a year when we're going to festivals (laughs) it's just like you know that's really important for us and for myself kind of on this yoga journey yoga and meditation journey and you know trying to learn more about that and become a yoga teacher and take that back to the hood because I'm kind of like actually as I always say, the people who need well-being the most at the moment don't know it exists. And when they do find it, they can't afford it. And when they can afford it, they can't afford the spaces to do it. They can't find the spaces that are welcoming and they can't find the teachers who can relate to them. And so I'm just like, I can't wait for Kanye to start doing chaturangas before basically kids are like, oh yeah, let's go and do some yoga or be a bit more mindful of our bodies. Because as I said, you know, I think what a lot of people don't realise is for a lot of young people who are growing up in areas, you know, which are changing, they have to wake up and put the mask on. And the mask doesn't allow them to have fun, to live life, because that means being vulnerable. And so they immediately wake up with anger and the whole day is just basically this front of kind of like, I'm so hard, don't even look at me. You stepped on my shoe. Ah." You know, and all this unnecessary anger, you know, and suspicion of the world outside your door, which doesn't need to be had. Charlie, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank Thank you you very much, man. It's been really lovely talking to you. And if people want to come down to Rundem... Tuesdays, 7pm, Truman Brewery, Dre's Walk. Either Instagram us a message or send us an email or just come and find us and, you know... If you've got good energy and good vibes, then you're always welcome. This episode of Stories by Soho House was brought to you by Radio Wolfgang and Soho House. It featured me, George Lamb, talking to Charlie Dark. And if you want to run with a Rundem crew, hit up www.rundemcrew.com. <laughs> <laughs>